there are, um, is this one on yet? Yeah. There are so many more stories that we could tell. Um, there's a video that Houston and Haviland Coley sent from vacation uh, that we could watch. There are recordings of students throughout the week who talked about how God moved in their lives that are out there and then more that we're going to do and put out there. Um, we really could spend hours in here doing this, but David told me I had to preach. So um, we're going uh, to jump into the scriptures uh, right now. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, it'll, it's up there. It's on the screen. Look at that. So, uh, so this, this is in the middle of a bunch of parables uh, that Jesus is telling, um, answering some questions for his disciples. And so that's why he says again. Um, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Um, So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if you've been here for the past month, or months or years or maybe like since Jesus left the first time, we've been reading First and Second Samuel for a really long time. And you're thinking, oh, we're done. We're not done. We're going to do it. We're going to finish it up over the next couple of weeks. And since Jeremy Morris is a better theologian, I'm setting you up, man. Since Jeremy Morris is a better theologian, if you don't know Jeremy, he's the other guy with the bald head. He's the one they thought was Bo in the back there. Uh, David stuck him with the tough last passages in 2 Samuel, and instead he told me a couple of months ago, he said, would you be interested in preaching on whatever's on your heart coming back from camp? And I said, yes, and honestly, I thought, if I don't get anything, I'll just steal what the speaker said, and I'll repackage it, and nobody will know. But um, my heart just wasn't in it. I just couldn't do it. Um, And so as I was praying this week, uh, this parable was on my heart. And, and for me, uh, there's a couple of reasons. The first is this. Our camp theme for this year was revealed. And that theme was taken uh, from Romans chapter 8. 
And I'm going to start reading in verse 18. The verse is actually 19, but I'm going to start in 18. And the passage says this. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That was our theme for students this week or this past week, that we, the children of God, those who have embraced Christ and his suffering and so embraced Christ and his glory, are what the world is really waiting for, right? The, the, our, our theme was that the world's not waiting for another superhero movie to give them the answer to what they need. They're not waiting for another iteration of the iPhone to provide them life and experience. They're not waiting for another political figure to bring unity and peace. And they're not waiting for another hashtag to really set oppressed people free. What the world is really waiting for is the children of God because the children of God are are those who carry the spirit of God, the same spirit that was in Jesus that came to release the captives and that came to bring sight to the blind. That's what the scriptures say that the world is groaning for, right? And, and these other things, these things that sort of take the spot are, are just filling in the space because the real thing isn't being revealed. And, and so what God does when those things fill the space is that he frustrates the creation. And you can see that all around you in the world, can't you? The creation looks frustrated. But, but God does that to confirm that all these other things, all these things short of the glory of God are less than so that when the real thing shows up, the creation will say, yes, that's what I've been looking for. And I, and I think this parable speaks to that calling to Christians that that's what we're supposed to carry into the world, that we're supposed to live as these people who are, who are bringing God's gifts and God's kingdom into the world and watching it multiply. The second reason that this parable is on my heart is that the thing that I love more than anything about camp is that I think that one camp illustrates the type of life that hears well done, good and faithful servant. What I mean is this, you guys just got to see some snapshots of it, but every year there's about 150 adults that, that are not qualified that are not deserving, that don't necessarily do this every day and in every way, but they're given opportunities, right? And they're given opportunities to do all kinds of things, to preach, to lead worship, to teach, to make videos, to lead aqua dancing. Look back there, there's Dutch to beast. Dutch, give a wave, just a wave, Dutch. So if you don't know Dutch, you guys know Dutch, right? How many of you guys have been to aqua dancing? How? Yes, exactly. Like camp would not be the same without aqua dancing. I don't know this yet, Dutch, but are you certified as an aqua dancing instructor yet? It's not even a thing, right? You can't even answer it. It's not even a thing. He didn't know I was going to call him out, so that's my fault. But it's not even a thing. But, but we just show up 
right? And we don't say, what job do I get and how does that put me on a pedestal? We just show up and we say, I'm going to say yes to whatever opportunity you put before me today. And if that's getting salsa dumped on my head or jumping in a mud pit or praying with a kid who's struggling with suicide, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lean out into it. I'm going to jump in and bring my best to the table explicitly for the kingdom of God. And every year I get to watch people who could do something else during the time that most people are taking their vacation, actually invest their money they pay to come. Can you imagine their gifts and their time? And say yes. And it's one of the most incredible things. It's one of the most incredible expressions of the kingdom of God that I've ever been blessed to be a part of. And so I want you to watch one camp. I absolutely want you to. And I would love for you to come and see it. And and maybe that'll stir your heart to get involved in one camp. But I hope it stirs your heart to be jealous to be like one of the two servants who hear well done. Because it's an incredible thing that can happen for anybody who is connected to the living God. So that's why we're talking about this parable today. And it's situated in the midst of multiple other parables and we could really spend weeks unpacking it. But as I looked at it and prayed and fell asleep about five times as I was trying to prepare this talk, I said at nine that that was my only joke. It must just not be funny. Um, So, all right. So, but that was it. You get the video and you get the Dutch thing and you get that. The laughing's over after this. Okay, so dig in. But there, so, so but what I want to share with you guys just in the next maybe 15, 20 minutes are just three things about this parable that stand out to me and that I think maybe God would want to share with us today. The first one is this. Jesus has a here but not yet kingdom. Jesus has a here but not yet kingdom. And the reason that he has that kind of kingdom is because he wants to bring in as many people as possible into his eternal happiness. So like I said, this parable is situated in a group of parables. And that group of parables is all about when the kingdom of God is going to come. The short story around the context is this. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and his disciples are wondering if he as Messiah is about to usher in the kingdom of God's reign in its fullness. And the answer is not an easy one. Big answers hardly ever are because the answer is essentially yes and no. And so Jesus has to spend about four or five parables really trying to answer this question in its fullest way because Jesus is the beginning of the final chapter of creation with his life, his death and his resurrection the breaking in of God's kingdom back into the world but he isn't ending the chapter immediately. So Jesus' answer to them is, yes, I have come. Yes, the kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is also coming and it's going to return and you won't know when, but but you need to ready yourself because right now what we're going to be about from here on out is the kingdom of God. See, one camp is beautiful and inspiring, but if I'm honest with you, I also always come back heartbroken. And the reason that I come back heartbroken is because every year at one camp, as we engage these students, these incredible students, we also engage their brokenness and and the ways that they have to experience a, 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 a pretty evil world, if we're honest. And it's hard. 
And it's hard to look at students who are bringing and experiencing and have experienced some of the, some of the worst aspects of this present evil age. And it's hard to look at them and say, but God's good. But he's good. You can believe he's good. And sometimes if I'm honest, it's, it's hard for me. And one of the biggest questions I have when I encounter things like that is I wonder, God, why won't you just come back and fix everything? Like, why won't you do that? And I'm not the first person to ask that question. And the people in this room aren't the first person to ask that question. The people at camp aren't. The people of the 21st century aren't. This is an age-old question. All-powerful God, all-good God, evil world. Right? How does this work? It's a big question. It's a big question to wrestle through as a middle and a high schooler. It's a big question to wrestle through as an adult trying to walk through life. And it was a big question for Jesus' disciples, maybe bigger for them than anybody else, because they were walking with the Messiah. And they were thinking, you're not just going to get rid of all of this now? You're not just going to take care of all of this now? And one of the things I love about the scriptures and what I think the scriptures get a bad rap for, if I'm being honest, is the scriptures don't shy away from big, difficult questions. The scriptures actually wrestle with the biggest questions and they do it in a way that is philosophically and intellectually engaging. They don't try to come up with simple answers. And and that's not often the rap that that the scriptures get. And I think the reason is because we probably start to ask these questions when we're younger but we're not ready to process through the answers to these questions. And so in an effort to help people in the church kind of try to dumb it down a little bit. But then what we think is that the answer is not there. And that's just not true. That's just not true. This is a huge question, but the scripture speaks about it in in many and various ways. And again, part of the problem is that we want to try to give the answer in 20 minutes on Sunday morning. Good luck with that. It's just not going to happen. But I would encourage you to dig in and see what the scriptures have to say. And what I would tell you is the big answer is this. For, For God to just come back now and destroy all evil, that would mean a lot of people would be destroyed in the process. And though I may be callous towards those people, God is not. God's compassion reaches further than mine. And sometimes I don't like it. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. It says, The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, when I, when I pray the prayer or ask the question, why doesn't God come back and fix everything? It feels like it's a very righteous prayer. It feels like it's a very righteous question. But in all actuality, it, it's, it's more selfish than I often realize is because it's me not being able to handle it and wanting to tap out because I know that I'll be okay in eternity. Right? It's me not taking into account that there are people that God still cares about who aren't there yet. And he wants to give as much space and as much time as possible to those people. See, see, the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible, if I'm honest, is far more inclusive than I am in who he loves and who he cherishes, and who he has compassion and mercy for. He says it it doesn't matter who you are, where you're born, or or what you've done. I want to make myself available to you. Why does that matter? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is this. I think we tend to ask God a lot of questions that we think are stumpers, and then we don't wait around for the answer. 
And what that does is it creates a false God that we reject. And we, sh- and we, and we shouldn't do that. Be- because if, if we think that the God of Christianity, if we think that the God of the Bible doesn't really have answers to these questions that are compassionate and loving, we're going to think like the third servant, that he's hard and angry and is just here to discipline. When dealing with the question of evil, this is what the God of the Bible says about the long waiting and the not yet and the suffering. This is his answer. He says, I'm going to sacrifice myself and my own comfort and my own happiness and wholeness so that I can open a door for as long as possible for as many people as possible to experience eternal joy. That's the God of the Bible. Don't fall for something less than that. That's the God expressed in Jesus Christ. That's his answer for why not yet. He says, I'm not just going to make you deal with it. I'll come down and deal with it. And I'll go through it. I'm not going to ask you to follow me into something I wouldn't do. If we engage his sufferings, we will also engage in his joy. But he also, and this is the neat thing about God, one of them, he's pretty neat. One of the things is that he does have an answer for the now. He doesn't just say, so not yet, so just hang in there if you can, bud. He says this. He says, my answer for the now is this. I'm going to come and I'm going to live inside my followers and I'm going to empower them to make a supernaturally healing difference in the broken world in the meantime. That's the master giving the servants the gold. Right? That's what's happening in this story. Is he's saying, I know that I'm going away for a time, but I'm going to give these gifts to my children so that they can make a difference in the broken world in the meantime. God isn't just waiting to come back. He is making a way for the kingdom to come here and now. And, and that leads us to the next point that I want to look at in this passage, and that's this. We've all been given responsibilities as children of God in that kingdom. If you've, been to Mar- if you've been to Stonebridge very long or if you've looked on the walls or if you've checked out our website, you know that two things that uh, David Eldridge talks about and two things that are central to our church are do your Dale, right? And find your Marietta. And, and I know that sometimes for people, we hear that and we hear that and we hear that and we can kind of overcomplicate it a little bit, right? We can overcomplicate it. We can't figure out what to do. We don't think we have a lot of stuff. We don't think we have a lot of gifts. I can't preach. I can't, I can't sing. I can't play an instrument, right? And we wonder, can I do anything? And we, I, I think we tense up a little bit like the third servant. And what I would say to you is this. If, if you want to start somewhere with do your deal and find your Marietta, it's really just what are you going to do with what's been given to you? What are you going to do with what's been given to you? That's what camp is. What are you going to do with what's been given to you? For a week, I'm going to go and tell you guys, for a week, my deal was getting salsa dumped on my head and jumping in mud pits and praying for kids that were suicidal. That was my deal for a week. I don't know that that's going to be my deal next week. But that was my deal. And I didn't wait to see, uh, is that my deal? For a week, Dutch's deal was aqua dancing. That was his deal. And it made a real difference. People are like, you have to go to aqua dancing. No one's ever said that about anything I've taught at camp ever. (laughs) It's his deal. And you know where our Marietta was? Covington, Georgia. And I usually pray to God that that won't be my Marietta forever. But for a week, it was my Marietta. I love Covington. If you're from Covington, I apologize. Uh, but, But that was my Marietta, right? All that we are. 
whether it's natural gifts and talents or whether it's supernatural things that God has given to us should be employed in service of the kingdom of God. And we need to recognize that not everybody is born with the same talents and not everybody gets supernaturally the same gifts of the Spirit, but everybody can be productive in their own unique way and not only can, but should. Because all of our service in the kingdom is inherently valuable, whether it looks sacred or it looks silly. That's, that's not what it's about. Five, two, one, whatever. Whether it receives greater or lesser return, our responsibility is to use our giftedness to advance the kingdom of God. I, I spend a good amount of time with people that don't like church. Only a few of them are in this room. I tried to give you guys another one. All right. So, and that makes it a little awkward for me, you can imagine, because I love the church. But one thing I hear a lot of times from people who either stop liking church or don't like church is that they always say this, why doesn't the church blank, right? It's something they're super passionate about usually. Well, why won't the church blank? And what I want to say is like the reason the church doesn't blank is because you walked out the door. Like you, you tried to farm it out to a professional when it was the gift that God had given to you. It was the talent that God had entrusted to you. Each of us has been given something And to do nothing with it is to do something with it, right? To do nothing is to do something. To bury it in a hole, that guy thought he was going to get out. But he wasn't. He was still doing something. And he was probably doing something because he was afraid that he didn't get the same things that the other guys got. I can imagine that. He was like, I only have one. I only have one. That guy can lose one of his two and he'll still be okay. But but I only have one. And what I'm going to say is that guy had one. What about the guy who had none? The the master looked at him and he said, I trust you with this. No one has nothing. No one in this room as a child of God has nothing. Everybody's been given something. I want you to imagine a list that ranks the gifts, the abilities, the relationships, and the resources of everyone in the world. All right. All 7.3 billion-ish of them. Right? And there's a list, and they're from most to least. Whoever has the most is way up here. Whoever has the least is way down here. And unless you're the last one, unless you're number 7.3 billion, you, you got one. You got one. And everybody in this room, just by virtue of the fact that you can sit in this room, you're not the last one on the list. Right? You have time. You have relationships. You have a job. You have a phone. You have a school. You have a city. You have a joke. You have an idea. And when you come to Christ, you've got something in Christ, right? You have freedom. You have love. You have intellect. You have a voice. And what this parable asks us is, will we go out and invest in multiplying our master's kingdom with what we've been given? doesn't ask how much we've been given or how little we've been given. And there there are a lot of reasons that we say no. Um, When I was thinking about it, I thought of like three easy ones that I think make it easy for people to say no Um, one is that we say, uh, I don't have time. And and one thing I want you to know is that if you think you don't have time, um, then you're, you're misunderstanding what God's asking you to do. He's not asking you to add to, he's saying, this is what I've given you. Go out and live in it. Right. It is your time. Like you're living in your time. That's it. That's what it is. At camp, you don't have time to do anything. You barely have time to sleep. And what you're doing is just like this got thrown up in front of me. All right. What do I have to bring to the table? 
right? A lot of times the only thing that I really do with students is I just listen and pray. And that's the best thing I have to bring to the table, right? Some people say, I don't know what to do. And, and I would say, if you want to start somewhere, love and make disciples. Those are pretty clear scriptural man- mandates. Love God, love people, make disciples. Give it a shot. Again, get out there. Listen to God and, and just see what happens. I don't know what to say. Scripture is pretty clear that if you need something, God will give you the words you need to say when you need to say them. I don't know sometimes when students come in front of me where it's going. Sometimes, I, sometimes when I pray for them, and they'll tell you this, I'll say, Let's pray, and then I'll be super quiet, and I'll tell them, I'm not asleep, because camp wears you out, I'm just listening to the Lord. And I'll sit and I'll listen for a while. And sometimes it's a word or a sentence, but I don't want to say anything that God doesn't want me to say, because they don't need my advice, they need the kingdom of God revealed, and he will give it to you. One of the things I love about this parable is the identical statement of praise to both of the faithful servants. Right? It shows us that the point of the parable isn't the amount earned, but faithful responsibility to living up to one's potential and giftedness. So the rewards of earnings may differ, but both servants receive the identical happiness in the presence of their master. And I think that that's what awaits for us. And and I think that's what throws the third servant off. And I want to finish with this because there is another reason, and I think it's a real reason, that we don't reach out with what we've been given. And that's that we're tired, we're beat up, and we're angry. You know, the third servant, he only got one bag of gold, and they said it was according to his ability, and that meant his ability wasn't as much as the other servants. And usually what that means is that your place in life is either your place in life has affected your ability, so there have been things that have happened to you, there have been things that have gone on that have sort of stunted your ability, or your ability has affected your place in life. And so it probably meant that life was tough. Not as tough as somebody who had nothing, but not easy. And it was probably life that made him think that about the master. It wasn't time with the master or all the servants would have thought it. They all would have buried it if he was right. See, the first two servants show us that the third servant, what he thinks isn't true. But somehow along the way, just the hardness of whatever he was going through had made him think that. And we're shown that it's not very wise because the master says, well, you could have done this at least and it would have produced something. You could have done the minimum and it would have produced something. So we see that it's not wisdom that makes him hide. It's fear, right? It's probably hurt. And, and so that, that's a real thing. And, and I don't think that it's a thing that you can rah-rah yourself out of. And I don't even think it's a thing that hearing great testimonies about camp can bring you out of. See, the, the scriptures say that, that a right understanding of God's nature is key. That what we think of God, not what we have, is a big part of determining, determining our fruitfulness. So people say, well, what if he had lost the talent? And I think they missed the point. If he had trusted the master, he wouldn't have lost. And, and so what I want to do is I'm going to invite Bo back up and I want us to pray. And, and I specifically want to pray for you. Um, if this is you, if this last area is you, 
If you would say, listen, the reason that I'm not engaging the kingdom is I'm tired, I'm beat up, or I'm angry. Like, I didn't get the opportunities that other people got. I don't have a baby to dedicate. I don't have a job that's given me money to invest. Hey, I, I, can't, I can't go to camp for a week. Like, I don't have those things. And, and, and if you're honest, the way that, that that has distorted your mind, your circumstances have distorted your mind in a way that's affected whether or not you really believe God's goodness. Do you know what the thing about camp really is? Is that the thing about camp is that no matter where we came from, there's something about the just like, the air is thick with belief in the character of God is good. And, and willingness to trust that regardless of your circumstances. I guarantee you that there were teenagers at camp that could beat your bad story. And that's not me being gentle with your, or trying to be uh, flippant with your bad story. I'm just telling you. And what moved them was that the character of God's goodness in that week of time, because people are just giving themselves over to him, is so evident that they're willing to trust again. It wasn't a good talk, right? It wasn't aqua dancing or videos or even how great Bo is at leading worship. It was that the character of God was on display and he transformed them by the renewing of their minds about who he really is. Right, Katie Marie? I mean, think God spoke to me. And God speaks and says, Katie Marie, you were just, misunder- you're, you're, you're just misunderstanding how much I love you. That's what happens. And so what I want to do is take a few minutes and we're going to go a couple of minutes over, but I think this is important. I invite the ministry teams up. The prayer teams can go ahead and come up. And, and you can come up during this song for prayer about anything you need. We love to pray for people. Right? It's one of our things that we want to invest for the kingdom. But specifically, what I want to do is I want to take a minute and pray over people that fall into that third servant trap right now. That you're like, if I'm honest, I, I'm, I'm just frustrated. Like, I'm just frustrated. I don't see this God. I don't hear this God that you're talking about. I'm looking at my circumstances. I'm looking at the times I've trusted and I've been let down. And I don't want to do it again. I, I, I want to spend time praying for you. And I want to spend time praying for people that maybe that you know who are going through that but are so there that they couldn't even walk in this room. And so I'm going to pray over you. And then I'm going to invite you to come for prayer, whether for yourself or whether for somebody you know who is in the midst of this. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, your talent, your bag of gold today might be the little bit of hope you have left to ask God to transform you by the renewing of your mind. Second, First Corinthians says that nobody knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God. But he says that as children of God, we haven't been given the mind of this world. That the lies, that God is far off, that God doesn't care about evil, that God doesn't care about you, that your time's up, that you're useless, those lies are the world's. And what we need to know is the truth of God. He is the good master. And there's time left, you guys. The end of this parable sounds hard, but that's because Jesus is saying, when it's all over, it's over. But the hope today is this, because of Jesus, it's not over. It's not over. You got breath in you. 
God's got something for you to do for the kingdom. So let me pray over you and then release you. Y'all stand. God, Lord, I just want to take a minute and pray specifically for those who are tired and they're frustrated and they're angry. God, I pray that they would hear the call of Jesus. Come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Don't doubt my goodness. It's, there's, there's still time. While it's called today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. I will give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Trust my goodness. Trust my goodness in the midst of a world that has fallen and broken and evil. Trust my goodness and you can be a part of it breaking in. You can be a part of revealing God to a frustrated creation. The very thing that frustrated you in God's hands can become what you bring out into the world to help the frustrated people. Hear that. It's, it's, it's Trey Metters having to wrestle through the loss of a grandparent and then seeing God in the midst of it that will allow Trey Metters to go forward and talk to another student who loses a grandparent and pray for them through that process. And the same can be true for you. If you will put the little or the much that you've been given out. So God, give us faith. Transform us by the renewing of our mind. It's faith as a gift. Ask that you would come, Spirit of God, and fill us in Jesus' name. I invite you to come forward again for prayer. And Bo will close us.